Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassidy. In today's episode, I sat down with Robin Kaplan, who is an IBCLC, an International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. She's also a frequent media commentator on the topic of breastfeeding. She also launched the San Diego Breastfeeding Center back in 2009 and recently published a book called Latch with the intention to support moms through all stages of breastfeeding. In this episode, we get straight to it. We break down some of the myths around breastfeeding. We talk about things like partner support during breastfeeding and intimacy and transitioning back to work, as well as asking Robin some tough questions like, with our well-intentioned efforts to support lactating moms, did we take this whole idea of breast is best too far? I hope you enjoy the following episode and find some support and resources within it. Let's jump right in. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Hello, I am Dr. Cassidy, your host of the Holding Space Podcast, and today I am sitting actually out in my backyard (laughs) with my good friend and colleague, Robin Kaplan. Hello, Robin. Thank you for coming over and sitting here with me. My pleasure. Great way to spend a Wednesday morning drinking tea in your backyard. Oh, it's perfect. So I first met Robin when I had my firstborn, so probably what, like six and a half years? seven years ago now, because she's six and a half, almost seven. And I came in to Robin's breastfeeding support group. (laughs) And I think I was like maybe a week and a half, two weeks postpartum recovering from a C-section. So my husband helped bring in the car seat (laughs) and bring her in because I couldn't really lift things. And I was in a super vulnerable place (laughs) and... Um, I had anticipated breastfeeding being the easy thing, and while it was in many ways for us, it was also, I also felt really unprepared. And so walked into your free breastfeeding support group that um, you're, you still host on Wednesdays, right? Yep. Yep, so it still goes on on Wednesdays. Um, and so Robin offered support and a loving presence and she really (laughs) held space for me to ask a lot of questions. I also met through that support group, my like first mom friends. And so even once we got past the breastfeeding hurdles, I kept coming in (laughs) just to, you know, be around other moms. It's a great reason to brush your teeth and get out of the house in the morning. (laughs) Exactly. It's a perfect reason to brush your teeth (laughs) out in the morning. And so... Um, and then, um, later on you and I became, uh, professional colleagues yep. because once I went back into my practice, my clinical work, I found myself wanting to and desiring to work with postpartum families and moms and you became a great resource. Oh, thanks. And now we're office mates. I know. <laughs> <laughs> now we Which are, is awesome. Yeah, we're in the same office space, um, So Robin, I always love to hear origin stories and how people got into the work that they're doing. So could you, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you became a lactation consultant? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my boys are um, 12 and a half, almost 13 and um, 11 and a half. So they're about 15 months apart. And um, my oldest son's name is Ben. And when Ben was born, um, we had a very, very long, as most first-time moms have, very long labor and some challenges with breastfeeding in the beginning. And um, a lactation consultant had come into their hospital room, and I didn't even know that profession existed. At the time, I was uh, managing an education program at a local art museum. And uh, she came in the room and she was helpful, um, but we left the hospital really not knowing what we were doing. And so by day four, we go into our pediatrician's appointment and she's asking how breastfeeding's going. And I simultaneously just start to sob. <laughs> it's not going that well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so she handed me the card of a lactation consultant who um, my husband called on the way home from the pediatrician's office. And she came to our home, I think that afternoon even. Wow. And, uh, and she helped us kind of 
turn things around a little bit. It was still, you know, normal challenges for the first about six weeks, but then um, things just started to get easier and easier. Um, and so second time around, I figured I've done this, I've got this. And Ryan was an even harder kid to breastfeed mm -hmm. than Ben was, but I was much more educated at the time. I knew what it was supposed to feel like. Um, so this time we actually called the lactation consultant from the hospital yeah. <laughs> and had her meet us at the house. And yeah. she, again, helped us, you know, fine-tune things and get better. And so um, I went back to work full-time after both my boys were born, And um, but I was just feeling like um, it was really hard to work with two littles at home, and so I took some time off, and I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with myself. Um, and my stepmom is a, a postpartum, or she's a birth doula yeah. at one of the local hospitals, and so she was like, why don't you become a breastfeeding teacher? You love to teach, and you love breastfeeding. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds awesome. And uh, UCSD has um, had one of the only lactation consultant programs in the country, Wow. and right in our backyard. Um, and so I went through the program and the director of it, you know, said, she was asking me what my goals were. And I'm like, I think I want to become a lactation consultant yeah. um, and have my own private practice. Cause she's like, well, you could go back and become a nurse. And I'm like, I don't want to work in the hospital. And so um, I went through the program and started my own business. And that's kind of how it all began. Like, just my boys are the reason why yeah. I became a lactation consultant. They were the so. inspiration. They, they, were were your, totally, they were your muses. They were my muses in <laughs> such piranha-like ways. <laughs> piranha-like ways. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank goodness for those muses because now you are, I mean, you are an incredible resource for San Diego moms. Oh, thank you. But with the recent launch of your book, yeah. Latch, you are now a huge resource to moms and you will be a huge resource to moms all across America and maybe inter even internationally. <laughs> I don't know. We need to get that book translated into other languages too. Um, so when did you start, because you have, um, you are the owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Center. Yep. Yeah. So when did that start? So I started that in 2009. Um, I had finished the program that year and then started going through the whole process of starting your own business and everything. And while I was doing that, I obviously was not very busy because <laughs> no one knew of me. Um, and so I worked for WIC, for, um, Women, Infant, Children um, program for about six months. They had a um, a grant that brought in t two lactation consultants, I was one of them, um, to their six locations in San Diego, the, specifically the American Red Cross WIC in San Diego. And so our goal was, to, our, our job was to help provide support to their peer counselors while they were supporting the moms who came into the office. Oh, wow. And so it was great because I could do some hands-on, but there was no pressure and everything. And it was just great to be there supporting not only educationally, but also emotionally, the moms and the women at WIC who were working with them. Yeah. Mm. So it was a really, really cool program. And it worked out perfectly because right after that six month point, um, my business started picking up a little bit. And so it was a great transition into um, going out, you know, really into my own private practice yeah. at that point. Yeah. I'm really, it's really happy to hear that your origin story was actually through a story of struggle and feeling unprepared and find, being able to find support and then deciding that you wanted to be one to be able to offer support. I also went into motherhood feeling like I know where the resources are and I'm prepared and I read the books and I should, these, and I think that I had an idea of what breastfeeding was supposed to look like. And I thought that it was supposed to come really naturally because that was the word that kept going, yep. you know, being it's natural around. and normal. It's natural and normal. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, you know, I, I had a healthy pregnancy and, um, yes, labor was long, but the baby came out, it was healthy and I was healthy. I'm like, this should be natural and normal. And, and I know where all the resources are, but yet I felt really unprepared. And so I'm, I'm curious, why, why do you think that moms end up feeling so unprepared for breastfeeding? I, I think we take a lot of time. I, I can speak from my personal experience. The, the eight months that I knew I was pregnant, yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I spent a lot of time going online, looking at what was going on with my body at that week and 
all about my pregnancy and what I should be noticing and everything like that. But the amount of time that I spent um, looking at things and researching for after the baby actually came out was pretty minuscule. I mean, we take our birthing classes and things like that to prepare how to get the kiddo out. Yeah. But then once he's here, I remember my husband and I driving home from the hospital with our son in the back the car giggling because we're like, don't the nurses know that he'll be safer if we just left him there? Because like, yeah, I mean, we had diapered a couple kids, you know, we'd held a couple kids, but it was comical to us that we had absolutely no training right. for how to take care of this little being that was solely relying on us. On you. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, we, and then we have this expectation that if birth is normal. Obviously, the kid has to get out. Yeah. Um, breastfeeding is normal. Baby has to be fed. Yeah. Um, but we're not surrounded by a community that only breastfeeds. And so, mm. um, or that, you know, we'll talk later. I know about just like the breastfeeding is not always accepted either. It's, you know in your own home, out in public, how long you breastfeed for. Mm. Breastfeeding is such a controversial subject Gosh, and it's it like, does it, it doesn't have to be. And so, but it um, is, it and is. Moms, and moms are impacted by this, the, the societal oh, discourses, yeah. right? The messages, the messages that we get. With. If you breastfeed, if you don't breastfeed, you're bad. If you breastfeed, then you're not doing it right. Like there's just so much. And so, yeah. um, I, I don't know if maybe we stay away from that conversation while we're pregnant because it's too scary to even jump into, but um, so I feel like, you know, when we come out and we're now, our babies are out, we, you know, we're surrounded by all these voices in the community. And I think it really depends on, you know, did your family members breastfeed? Did your friends breastfeed? Um, what kind of support is out there? What, what are your goals? And so it just, um, I think we just feel unprepared because there are so many opinions and we, unless we have a really strong um, notion of where we're trying to go with it, um, it's really hard to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you think, what can moms do if any moms are listening that are pregnant, what can moms do during pregnancy you think to help prepare? Um, I think, you know, taking a prenatal breastfeeding class, um, I always recommend, um, to pregnant families who ask me this question to, I recommend that they actually attend a breastfeeding support group before they've had their baby. Yeah. Um, I feel like in our breastfeeding classes, you know, we're watching a video, um, but we're not seeing like a real live baby latch onto a real life breast. And I, <laughs> right. you know, for those of us who have gone to breastfeeding support groups, we know that there are a multitude of positions um, that moms can put their babies in while mm -hmm. feeding them um, that all work for them. You know, there's no one right way to do it. Um, I think it's helpful also to be able to sit down with a mom of a newborn and ask her those questions that you're thinking that, you know, someone who's really in the thick of it right now. Mm -hmm. And then also seeing that mom who brings her six month old to the group, who's not having any challenges and her kiddo is flirting with everybody who walks into the room seeing like, oh, so even if we have these hurdles initially, like this is what I get to look forward to. Absolutely. So I think create, finding a way to create that community, mm -hmm. um, not just um, through books and through research, but that actual physical, emotional connection to other people, whether it's online or um, in person, creating that community of support um, that can really help that process of making breastfeeding work for you mm. and parenting in general. I oh, mean, absolutely. We need our we need our tribe of people, so we can start looking into that even while we're pregnant. Even while pregnant, what are what would you say are some of the myths around breastfeeding? There are so many. <laughs> there are so I many. actually <laughs> just saw um, we we've had a podcast episode on this when I did my podcast, yes. The Boob Group. Um, that was actually my first introduction to podcasts yeah, when I was yeah. a guest I, on that like years ago. Yeah, yeah. So we've <laughs> talked about that. We've had blog articles about it. I just saw the Badass Breastfeeder post this on Instagram and had like 250 comments. <laughs> I mean, myths are free running. Yes. Um, so, so if you were to pick like uh, one or two, it's hard, but yeah. to force you to pick okay. one or two. So the first one I would say that we hear is that babies feed every three hours and if they feed more frequently then something is wrong okay. um, I think it's important to know that babies are not born with watches they have no idea when they last <laughs> ate and just yeah. like um, we might eat a different amount of food at breakfast than we do at dinner babies do the same thing and our milk supply fluctuates based on if baby ate an hour ago we're not gonna have time to fill up as much as if they fed three hours ago and so sometimes there's snacking sometimes there's gorging so just so, like we do yep 
we don't like we do. Like, I don't eat at nine, twelve, and three or six. You know, every day. You don't, like, Robin. No. You don't have Although my kids, if we don't eat at six, like they start to become super hangry. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, like we don't eat at the same time every day, yeah. and so or in the same time like increment in between eating Mm. and so babies don't either um cluster feeding is super normal especially during times where babies feel overstimulated overstimulated so like during witching hours um and so i think as long as your baby is gaining well seems happy and content after Mm. feeding then this fluctuation um is really normal it's when Babies are feeding nonstop and don't seem satisfied. Babies are not gaining weight. Babies are really fussy. Then we look at, okay, are they getting enough? Right. But, um, but other than that, the, it, we, we can't expect our kiddos to eat on a time schedule because they just don't. And then it really just stresses everybody out. Oh, I remember. I remember having like a notepad and I don't, I didn't have an app. Now there's like apps I know, that people I use. Know. We're, I we're have, so old. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we just had our kids a while ago. I know. I had a notepad, a piece of mm-hmm. paper and a pen and I would write down what time she fed, which breast she started with yep. and how long she nursed for. And then I would have my like you know, my clock for when she needed to nurse again. And, and I think my intention, right, was rhythm. And I think it was, it was a, it was an intention of, I want her to have rhythm, but that easily sort of slipped into rigidity around this is when she's supposed to be nursing or she's, why she's fussy. And she probably would have just was wanted to snack and wanted to be on the breast. But I was like, it's not time yet. And our rhythm's going to be messed up. And it's super common. And I feel like it is really helpful to keep track of that for the first couple of weeks, just because any appointment that you have with a pediatrician or lactation consultant, um, even if you go to a support group, they're going to ask like, well, how often is your baby feeding? You know, how many times in a 24 hour period? What do peas and poops look like? How much is your baby gaining? And so it is helpful to keep track of that initially. But then, yes, I do feel like sometimes it can create a sense of rigidity too, because Mm -hmm. we're not, it, it feels, it so much of parenting feels so uncertain. And so sometimes I find that I grasp onto things that feel more certain yet then when those aren't certain, it throws me off even more. So I feel like finding, finding your rhythm of what you're most comfortable with as a parent. Um, some moms love those apps and that actually makes them feel very, um, supported and they feel helpful. So, um, I say, you know, find what works best for you, but yes, know that, and even as babies find their rhythm and they are feeding roughly every two to three hours and maybe they're sleeping longer at night as they get older, you throw in any sort of developmental milestone, teething, crawling, walking, anything like that, you're thrown off again. I mean, even now my yeah. kids are preteens. If they don't feel well, they're mm. going to wake up in the middle of the night. I'm going to have to get up and go get them. They might right. come into bed with me. You know, your rhythms are always going to be thrown off as a parent. Right. Um, and so I think that was my biggest lesson that I needed to learn. And it's just really hard because I'm super type A. So I, I was just going to say, I'm like, for the type A's listening. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. It, it is the most humbling experience oh that I still continue to witness every single day. So humbling is the right word. For yes. This. Yeah. <laughs> this, whole, this whole parenting thing. But I love what you're saying that it doesn't stop when they're, I mean, when they're newborns and it's brand new and there's so much of you that's, that's needed physically. Yeah. It's so hard, but these are things like there are parts of that are going to get easier, right? Like your children aren't going to need your, your body to nourish them Correct. for the rest of, for the rest of their lives. Right. Or to be changing diapers or they're not going to need you as much in the middle of the night as yep. they get older. But just like as babies, different days and different milestones and different things that are going on require different needs from us as parents, that same thing sort of follows us yep. throughout parenthood. It does. I remember I was sitting at the beach this is just a couple of years ago and my kids were out in the ocean and I was not in there with them. And I was like, I have arrived. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can sit out here and read a book uh, and I'll keep glancing up obviously, but you know, while. yeah, they're with each other. If one falls, the other one will pick the other one up, but, um, or even just playing in the pool. Mm, like I don't yeah. have to sit there and watch them all the time now, but it takes a while to get to that point. And so yeah. it is super intense in the beginning. And for there are breastfeeding challenges, it can feel even more intense yeah. for sure. So, for lactating moms, for moms that are breastfeeding, they're not they're not they're not doing this alone. There's usually mm-hmm. there's usually um, not always, but there's usually a partner or some support person who's around them. And so, what can we for support partners like 
what can they do if yeah. the, if a mom is if a mom is breastfeeding? Great question. Um, and a support person can be not only your partner, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. Yes. Um, it could be your parent. It can be your sister or brother. I mean, they're your closest friend. Yeah. Absolutely. Some other family member, um, your grandma, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there, there are support people that we have in our lives that um, we can utilize during this new time in our lives as becoming a parent. Um, and they are one of the hugest parts of, I call it our breastfeeding dream team. Yeah. Um, and so this person, this support person, um, is going to be your cheerleader, your confidant, your number one support person. Um, they can make sure that you're well-fed and hydrated while you feed and hydrate your baby. Mm-hmm. Um, they can assist with latching if you need help or as well as call in a, another support person. I can't begin to tell you how many husbands or wives call me on behalf of the breastfeeding mother saying, like, hey, my my partner needs help breastfeeding can I schedule an appointment? So they're Um, the one to actually reach out for the support. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because I mean, the breastfeeding mom is sitting there in sometimes in crisis mode and sometimes we can't even think outside of that. And so to have another person who loves us, look at us and see us struggling, like, and then they're wondering, how can I help? Like, Okay, mm-hmm. so call for help. Mm-hmm. Call and bring that support mm-hmm. in. Um, and then this this um, support person can also bond with the baby um, while the mom is breastfeeding, while the breastfeeding mom is napping, eating, mm. learning to maneuver this new time in their lives. And so when the, the partner or support person's on board, you know, you're a united force, you're working together towards a shared goal, um, and that just feels absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, um, and I think, you know, one of the things, uh, questions I get a lot more for partners rather than family member support people. So partners, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, um, you know, wondering how, how can they bond with their baby um, while the breastfeeding mom is sitting there and spending so much time working on this. Um, and so I think it's really important that um, these partners are finding connection and closeness with their baby as well. Um, and it doesn't have to involve feeding. A lot of questions that I would get asked in my prenatal breastfeeding classes, when do we get to start bottles? And I'm not against bottles in any way um, yeah. at all. Um, but one of the kind of general recommendations is, well, wait until the baby's about three to six weeks because feeding from a bottle is a new skill. Yeah. So let's master one skill first before we move on to the next, unless there's some sort of medical indication that means like, okay, breastfeeding is really not going well. We have to feed the baby. Um, but partners, you know, they, they can spend time bonding with the baby by letting the baby sleep on their chest. I mean, gosh, that smell is so intoxicating of the baby. Um, and wearing the baby in a carrier wrap or sling, um, soothing the baby when fussy, um, just spending lots of time taking the baby on a walk rocking baby, yeah. cuddling, um, and then relaxing as um, a unit of three mm. so or four if you have twins yeah. or other children, yeah. you know. Um, and so relaxing between the two can really, while the mom is breastfeeding, really fosters intimacy and bonding between um, both parents yeah. as well, too. Like, I, I just remember sitting on the couch I think I was breastfeeding Ben or Ryan and Ben was sitting next to me and my husband was sitting down next to me too. And we were all sitting there like eating dinner at the coffee table, still in our pajamas at dinner time, being like, this rocks. <laughs> like, this is amazing. But I think, yeah. you know, it was that closeness, that learning, yeah. learning each other in a different way. Um, and so it really is a super magical oxytocin driven time. I remember um, with my with, well, with both children, but with my first specifically, uh, just cause it was the first time and it was, um, she was more colicky and it was, it was harder in, in different ways. And I remember there were times when she was in the, during those witching hours and she would be, it seemed like she wanted to nurse cause she was yeah. fussy. So I kept putting her on the breast, but that seemed to make it worse. And it yeah. was almost like she was getting more, <laughs> like her tummy was like getting too full yep. and like all those little gas bubbles because yep. she was unlatching and crying and latching back on. And I remember it was finally at some point, just like in like a desperation, like handed it over to my husband and he's like, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I'm, I'm gonna, and she just fell asleep in his yeah. arms. And it was almost like, because when I was holding her, she could like, she was smelling the breast milk yeah. and was rooting. And so I took that as an indicator that she wants to nurse, but 
the poor girl was just tired. And yeah. the minute he took her, there wasn't, he doesn't have, he's not lactating. He doesn't yep. have breast milk. And so she was able to sort of relax into him. Yep. And that became a huge tool that we would use mm-hmm. that he could offer, yeah. right? Like he could offer the, like the warmth and the skin to skin without the like smell of breast milk, yeah. right? Where she was then rooting when she really wasn't hungry. She just was looking for something to soothe her and yeah. comfort her. And he could offer that, yep. right? Um, and so that became a tool that we would use. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. I think, you know, when we see partners bonding with baby as well as with mom, um, it's just this super magical mm. time. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Like, I love it. So... So you mentioned bottles. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about just, all, I mean, I know, we, I know we mentioned this a little bit, but all the judgments that just <laughs> come with nourishing our children. Yeah. You know, I know there was a period of time, and my mom speaks to this, like during her generation where formula was really pushed. Yep. And um, the, the idea of breastfeeding in public was really shamed. And so, Only hippies did it. Yeah, That's what my mom told me. Only hippies did it. You know, it. I actually have... I actually had an experience where I was breastfeeding in public with um, a group of friends and we were all just, you know, nourishing our kiddos out at the zoo and um, a family walked by us and made a comment under their breath of like, look at those hippies or something like that. And, And one of my friends, bless her, she like, she looked up and she's like, oh, I'm a hippie because I'm feeding my child <laughs> in public and nourishing my child. Well, then I'll take it. If that's yeah. what a hippie is, I'm a hippie. You nice, know? nice. Um, I loved, I loved that. But um, there's just, there's so much. So, so there were, there was a lot of like pushing a formula. And then there was this movement of like, let's support lactating moms and, you know, breastfeeding in public and, and all of that. But I found in my work in running support groups and in my clinical work that now moms who are struggling with breastfeeding and who are offering their babies bottles in public yeah. are feeling shame yep. around bringing a bottle out. Yep. And and they're getting looks or comments and, you know, they're they're wanting to say, "Hey, you don't know how much how hard I've worked towards how hard I've been working to, yeah. to breastfeed or it didn't work for us or, yeah. Hey, the milk in this is milk that I've been pumping and, I know. and I'm exclusively pumping. And it's like having twins or triplets because I'm tied to the pump and uh, it just, yeah. you know, there's so much that goes into nourishing our children, but there's so much experienced judgment around it on both ends. Yeah. And so I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on these, these discourses and judgments um, did we go too far with breast as well? Like, I, yes, um, I, yeah. I think it, well, anytime we use the phrase like breast is best and, and we're putting something above something else, it creates this, this ability to be very judgmental. If something's the best, then anything that's not that mm. means that it's worse. Yeah. And um, so it's I can understand why um, why that kind of campaign was started. But I think that it has created um, some pretty significant shame around women who either tried breastfeeding and it didn't work, who tried breastfeeding and didn't like it, who didn't try breastfeeding at all who weren't able to breastfeed for a plethora of reasons, um, who are exclusively pumping. Like you said, I worked with a mom, we work with a decent amount of moms who exclusively pump for many, many reasons. And I remember a mom saying that she, when she got on a plane, that she had just come back from a trip and she said she almost thought about labeling the outside of her bottle, this is breast milk, because of the looks that she got when she pulled out a bottle. And I was like... Oh my gosh, like that just breaks my heart. Like why, I mean, why are we judging each other anyway? But um, I'd say for breastfeeding in public, I feel like there's so much shame and judgment around it just because I think we're so far from mo- removed from what breasts are actually for. And they're so over-sexualized yeah. that it's more comfortable for people to see a Victoria's Secret model blown up, you know, to and have 10, no issue yeah, with it. <laughs> 10 feet, you know, poster as you're walking by in the mall. Yet, like you said, but you turn around and see a mom breastfeeding right next to it and mm-hmm. we're shaming her for yeah. it. And we're seeing just as much skin as yeah. we are in those ads. Yeah. So I think, I think that 
over-sexualization um, is, is a huge part of yeah. it. Um, for bottle feeding in public, whether it's pumped milk or formula, again, there's just such a stigma that, well, you're not breastfeeding, you must have failed at it, mm. which is such a terrible thought. Why, if a parent is taking care of their kid, where's the failure in that? Yeah. Like, well, the rule number one that we learn, like, as a lactation consultant, rule number one is feed the baby. And so if you are feeding your baby, whether it's breast milk, formula, donor milk, if you are feeding your baby what your baby needs at that time, um, you know, don't feed your baby soda, <laughs> you know, right. but like if right. you're feeding them something that's going to help them yeah. grow and yeah. thrive, then you are not failing mm. as a parent. And if people are judging you for that, I think that the parenting judgment is caused out of fear. Yeah. Fear of doing something wrong, fear of not being the best parent, mm. fear of someone parenting better than we can. Um, there's just so much competition that's driving us to this judgment. Yeah. Um, and then we justify our judgmental thoughts because it makes us feel better. Mm. And so if we look at where the judgment or where the, just the comments is coming from. So and putting put, it in context. Putting it in context, yeah. yes. So the woman who made that comment about, you know, you being a hippie or because you were breastfeeding, where did that comment come from? And granted, you know, we don't need to discuss other people, you know, we're, we don't right. need to look into random strangers and, <laughs> right. and just be, just tell them off. Yeah. But like, if it's a parent or someone that you love, look at where the, where that comment is coming from. Where's the context. And it's usually a place of shame, mm. fear, um, that they weren't the best parent that yeah. they could be. They're trying to justify it. But then maybe sometimes they're also trying to make you feel like, well, if you're struggling, you know, there are options. Right. So they're trying to comfort too. There are lots yeah. of different places yeah. that these comments come from. Um, and so, but they're coming from that per the person who says it, it's coming from their experience and their lens. Mm. And so, yeah. um, which makes it really challenging. I wish everyone just keep their mouth closed. I, I know that, there have been many clients who've reached out to us and they have waited to almost the last minute because they were fearful of what the judgment the lactation consultant would be bringing to the table. And so I think it's very important when you're looking for anybody for help, your pediatrician, your therapist, you know, any, any professional that you're looking to, um, really doing research to make sure that their philosophies match with yours. Yeah. Um, for us, I mean, something that I have really worked very hard at for the San Diego Breastfeeding Center is that we're a place for non-judgmental support. We are here to support families, however they look, whatever size they come in, you know, shape, size, gender, you know, everything, yeah. um, and what their goals are. We don't come to the appointment with a preconceived notion about what this is going to look like or with expectations for what we want this family to accomplish. The first thing we ask every parent that comes in to meet with us, which I hope that everybody does, but I don't, I can't vouch for them, but it's just like, okay, I looked over your paperwork, you know, today, what would you like to get out of most out of today? Mm. What is your goal for today? So putting the agency back in the hands yeah. of the client. Yeah. Cause I've had a mom come in who said I made the appointment um, because I wanted to breastfeed and the past two days didn't go so well. And so I almost canceled the appointment, but I realized that I didn't really know how to use my pump well. So is this something that you can help me with? Like, heck yeah, I can help you use your yeah. pump. So, you know, I've, I had a call last, yesterday asking for, I, they needed help weaning. Like, we're here to meet the parents where they're at, and I hope that every practitioner that parents have access to does the same thing. Because mm -hmm. if they're meeting with someone who has their own agenda, that's not the practitioner for you. Yeah, yeah. So... Breastfeeding when you're going back to work. What are I know that you have a class that you offer. Yep. So you have a class that you offer, which is a great resource for San Diego uh, lactating moms. But what are if you were to give just like some quick tips for you know the transition back to work if you're breastfeeding, what would those be? Um, I have so many, um, and I should say, hopefully within the next six months, we'll actually have some, uh, virtual classes online oh, for this topic too. Awesome. So and for mom, for mom, someone who doesn't live in San Diego, live in San Diego or Amazing. they can't attend our class, Amazing. that, um, that information will hopefully be online, hopefully within the next six months. I'll make sure um, to be adding your website and okay. access to this in the podcast cool. notes. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, but to get back to your question, um, there are definitely several that um, pieces of advice. So I guess 
First one would be assess any obstacles before you return to work. So is breastfeeding a challenge? Get that help from an IBCLC. Um, Are you worried about milk supply? Same thing. Seek an IBCLC. If you're worried about where you're going to pump, meeting with your HR department, your boss, whomever you kind of answer to, assessing what that obstacle might look like and seeing if you can solve that obstacle before you go back to work so that it's not something that you're battling once you're back there. Um, meet, like I mentioned, like meeting with a supervisor can be huge. Where are you going to pump? How many times a day is going to work for everybody? Um, how long your breaks will be. So I think it's really scary if you don't have your own office, like, you know, where, where are you going to pump? Is the room going to be used by someone else? Um, and you show up and the door's locked, you know, how, how can you make this kind of work like a well-oiled machine? Yeah. I remember Uh, for myself when I went back to work, I oftentimes the office that I was using was an office where you could also do a live feed where you could watch what's happening in the room, um, <laughs> another room, right? Uh-huh. So it was, a, it was for training purposes uh-huh. for um, therapists and physicians because I worked with physicians who were in training. So I was like, well, this is the room I may be pumping in. I need to make sure nobody can <laughs> log, like, you know, watching a live feed of oh, <laughs> me yeah. pumping. It's a so. YouTube, and- <laughs> yeah. YouTube stream. Right. So... <laughs> I had to, and it was, it was just connected to like a television in another room so you could record it. Um, and you know, but so I had to make sure that I was, you know, could be using, if I was using this room, what were going to be the you know, kind of protective parameters, yeah, correct, yeah. protective parameters around it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I did have my own office. I was very fortunate and my boss was the most relaxed, amazing lady ever. Um, and so she was really great because I could just tell her, like, okay, I'm going to do this a couple times a day, and I'm going to put a note on my door. But the first day I was there, I had not assessed my obstacles, mm-hmm. and there was not a lock on my door that they were supposed to. So they were going to put it in, but it couldn't happen until the next day. So mm-hmm. I had, like, two pumping sessions, three pumping sessions that I had to do that first day back at work. I put a sign on the outside of my door, please do not come in, please do not disturb. I literally had just pulled the pump pieces off my breast and pulled my shirt down and someone from HR walked in. And I was like, are you flipping kidding me? Did you not see the note that was eye level? Do not disturb. Do not come in. And I marched straight into my boss's office and told her what happened. And she's like, okay, you can use my office for the next day. I'll step out and because yeah. her door had a lock and you better believe I had a lock on my door yeah. within about three yeah. hours. Yeah. But it just, you just never know. Yeah. And so it's helpful to assess those obstacles yeah. before yeah. for sure. Um, the other obstacle, um, getting your baby to take a bottle. Yep. <laughs> um, so that you will feel confident when you go back to work. Back so to um, we hear a lot about how babies might prefer the bottle mm. um, and not go back to breast. And I work with many, many babies who become so invested and in love with breastfeeding that mom or dad or anyone offers them a bottle and they just look at you like you have like four heads. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah they're um, like, that's not going to work for me. This doesn't taste the same. This yep. isn't the same temperature. Exactly. The texture is different. Texture. This does not feel like a boob. Yeah. And so, um, so working on really establishing that skill of bottle feeding somewhere between about three to six weeks of age and then continuing that for, you know, a couple times a week. So that way when yeah. you do go back to work, that transition is less stressful on yeah. both you and your baby. Yeah. Um, Working on getting a little bit of a small freezer stash can be helpful as well. Please do not Google freezer stashes of milk because you will see these moms who have families that have milk with like a thousand bags in their freezer and you will feel super inadequate. Um, That is not the expectation. Mm. I always recommend that families have about 30 ounces in the freezer when they go back to work. Um, just as a little bit of a backup. Yeah. And um, my biggest bit of advice is take one day at a time. There are going to be hiccups along the way um, that require to be you to you know be patient and flexible, yeah. and know that that meeting you planned on pumping at nine and that meeting ran until nine thirty. <laughs> and okay, so you go pump at nine thirty. Yeah. Like it yeah. just it requires a lot of flexibility and a lot of communication if you're feeling like there are too many obstacles, um, but. Usually you can make it work. Um, there is a fantastic website, by the way, for families who, women who go back to work and need to be creative about what their pumping space is going to look like. Um, uh, I'll put, a, I'll send you the, a, yeah, the link and perfect. we can include it at the bottom of this, but the 
United States government has um, a whole web page with links on how, to, no matter what industry you're in, service industry, whatever, how to make pumping work for you mm. at your space of employment. Are it's there really laws awesome. that protect, because you, you mentioned it's a government website, are there laws protecting moms? Yes. Who are lactating at, in work? Yes. Work? So, but it, it, it is only for women who, or only for breastfeeding women who work in an organization with 50 or more people. Okay. Um, anything under that, um, the law... I mean, most people will still follow it, but they yeah. technically don't have to. have to. But they are supposed to provide you a, a clean space that has a lock on the door. So not the bathroom. Not the stall. bathroom. It, I think it even says specifically not a restroom. Yeah. Um, so a private clean space with a lock on the door that is not a restroom um, to express milk. Yeah. And But the hard part is, is it says with a, a reasonable amount of break time, and I actually always put quotes around reasonable because... Every job is different, yeah. and everybody's interpretation of that word is different. Yeah. And so that's when it's important to have that communication yeah. with your um, with your employer to yeah. find out how can we make this work. And the other thing to remind them of is that if they aren't being super supportive, one, it's not like you're going to be doing this for years upon end unless you keep popping out babies. Yeah. Um, and two... Uh, the more time that you spend doing this, the less time you'll be taken away from work because most likely your kid will get sick less often because you're providing immunity to them. So if they would like you to be there more days than not, giving you the space and time to pump is really beneficial for everyone, as well as the amount of time it takes to train a new employee. Um, they yeah. might as well keep you on. So, you know, try to make them understand that they're picking the wrong battle. So it's good for everyone. It's good it's for good. business. It's good for mom. It's good yep. for baby. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this was a question that I actually, I know I give given you a list of questions and I skipped over this one for time, but I'm just like, I, I know I have so many clients where this comes up and from my own experiences, breastfeeding and intimacy. <laughs> yeah. So, so this will be our last question, Robin, and then okay. we'll wrap up and we can find out where people can find you. Um, I got, I get a lot of moms that come in and they're breastfeeding and, and, and I know, and we know the research around marital, you know, marital satisfaction, but we can call it partner satisfaction, um, around having baby, right? Like it can hover wherever it hovers. Couples can be wherever they are at. And then you have a baby and that makes it really hard Yeah, on a partnership. Absolutely. And breastfeeding, I have, I have moms that will come in and say, you know, I'm breastfeeding and I feel like it has just turned my sex drive off. Like I have no sex drive and I have some understanding of how, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, that might be what's happening yeah. because your body's like, oh, we're nourishing another human right now, a baby. Let's not let's make not another. Let's not make another yeah. and let's just turn all that off right yeah. now. Um, but couples can have a really hard time in in navigating that. Um, you know, I, I had a mom say the other day, my partner walked by and just not even in a like, in an intimate way, but just like happened to like brush against my breasts. And it was like pins and needles down my body. Like don't even come near yeah. me. Um, and so, and you know, so obviously this is something that could be a whole podcast in and of itself, but what has been your experience in talking to moms about the relationship between lactating, breastfeeding and intimacy? Such a good question. Um, I feel like so yes, I think from an evolutionary standpoint, there you know breastfeeding can reduce a mother's you know, lower her sex drive. Now, yeah. however, everybody's sex drives are different, totally. and it depends on which partner they're with. You know, yeah. like so yeah. there, there's a lot that goes into that. And I when we were talking earlier about this bonding between mom, baby, and partner, and how it's so magical. You go into the bedroom and it could be a completely different scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember I was, I guess I can, I, I can get detail oriented yeah. here, um, but a little bit TMI, but like I was a leaker, like, yeah. and so I wanted to wear a bra to bed every night. One, because I'd wake up in a puddle if I didn't, but two, I was afraid of leaking on my husband <laughs> when I, when we were being intimate because that oxytocin that's released yeah. while you're being intimate is the same, the same hormone. Oxytocin hormone. Yeah, that's happening yeah. when you're breastfeeding too. Yeah. And so, um, you know, breastfeeding also can dry up 
some of our mucous membranes, yeah. which I remember feeling very, very dry, like vaginally, you which know, makes when sex painful, it does. And especially after, you know, if you have pushed a baby out that way, yeah. sometimes that's a little bit more sensitive too, is yeah. that's being repaired. Yeah. If there was any sort of tearing or anything like that. So there's just, and I remember feeling very touched out. But I remember feeling touched out even with toddlers when I wasn't breastfeeding too. So I think there's so, a lot of it has to do with breastfeeding. I think a lot of it has to do also with just um, the, um, the massive intensity that comes along with taking care of another individual mm. that it's, I find that it, it can be very hard to shift yeah. out of like, you need me because you need to survive and you need me because you love me and want to be intimate with me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, f- I also feel like there's a large part of um, postpartum women that still feel uncomfortable in their postpartum body. Mm. I remember I, I loved the way my body looked while I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. I was sick all the time, so I didn't love the way I felt when I was pregnant. But I, I loved wearing bikinis because I was like, I don't have to suck in my stomach anymore. <laughs> like, my boobs look good. You know, like, I loved it. Yeah. But then that part, like, just kind of lingers, but there's no baby in there. Yeah. And then it's just like, just not, yeah. I, I didn't like the way my clothes fit. Mm. Um, this is several months postpartum, not like obviously the first couple weeks and months. I mean, that's normal, but yeah. you know, the longer it goes on and you're, you want to feel sexy again and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and that may not be how you're interpreting yourself. Um, and so I think that that's hard as well as just unwinding from your mind numbing intensive day. Um, I found that that was the hardest thing that I dealt with as well as many of the other parents when we talk about this, um, is just, it is so exhausting and sex is not being intimate. I realize being intimate doesn't necessarily have to mean the act of sex either, but just being touched in that way. If you are feeling stressed and touched out, that may not be the comfort that you're seeking. Yeah. But then there are other couples that that is the comfort they're seeking. It's so different for everybody. Right. But I think just knowing that in and of yeah. itself can be so helpful. Yeah. Because oftentimes I think that's one thing we can feel really unprepared for. We imagine we, um, you know, if it's a he- if it's a heterosexual couple, we created this baby together, right? It, you know, there's many different ways in which a, a family and a couple can bring a baby into the world and be caring for them, and they may have ideas of what that was supposed to look like, right? And this magical time with my partner. um, And it's not always going to look like that. It's messy. It's it's really messy, and it can be really, really hard. And just in knowing that sometimes, um, I think that during pregnancy, there's, there's, I work with a lot of couples that are pregnant, and I'll have, or I'm working with an individual, and I'll have them bring their partner in so we can have conversations around you know, preparing for postpartum yeah. and postpartum partnership and what the couple life is going to look like postpartum. So just sort of knowing that ahead of time and preparing and like building that foundation for how are other ways that intimacy can look. Mm-hmm. If, if it, it may not be sex <laughs> right away, it may not be sex for a while, yeah. or it may be, right? Yeah. You may, and that, that may be something that comes really easily and that you, you know, that a couple really um, actually finds themselves feeling closer during postpartum and invigorated in their sex life, right? It can look, it can be so diverse in how it looks, but just being prepared for the fact that it may be, it may look different. Yeah. And then I always suggest for um, couples to come in and do some couples counseling, you know, Um, finding the time away from baby or bringing baby in if they need to, but finding the space to talk about intimacy and how it might look different for them now. And I think talking about it as soon as possible. Yeah. Because otherwise I feel like, one, it sometimes can be really hard to identify what is the reason that you're not wanting to seek this intimacy with your partner. And then the resentment builds up. Yep. Um, You can tell I've had many, many years of personal therapy as well. (laughs) Um, But um, but yeah, so being able to really identify what the root of this is and then whether it's temporary or not temporary. um, But having conversation around it is so important so that way everyone understands what's going on. Um, And I think, you know, yes, breastfeeding can add a component into that, but like I said, I mean, not sleeping when you're toddlers, <laughs> you know, and you may not even be breastfeeding them, but they still, they're still very, very intense and need you. 
that it sometimes can be hard to make time for a partner, make time for yourself. Oh yeah. Feeding your own soul so that you are able to feed others um, is, is really, really challenging. Yeah. And then it just makes everything complicated. Yeah. And I think in you just sharing that, my hope is that it can shed a light on the fact that this can be as it's, it's normal in the sense that a lot of people are going to be going through an yep. experience like that, but you, there's, there is support available. Yeah. Like there, you can go to counseling, you can do couples therapy, you can talk to a lactation consultant. There are ways in which that individuals and couples can get support around all these experiences, yep. right? But my hope is in offering this podcast episode that moms dad dads partners can hear this and be like okay this is something that we can relate to and like i've had that similar experience or i can be prepared for that potential experience yep and know that when i do experience it others have experienced this as well i'm not alone in this which may help diffuse some of the shame that can come with these experiences yes and then the hope is then through that ask for help and get support Absolutely. Yeah, because the shame spirals yucky. Oh, it's super yucky. <laughs> super yucky and super sticky. Yeah. Yeah. So, Robin, where can people find you? Um, so, our website is San Diego Breastfeedingcenter.com. So, that's where you can find our classes, our consultations. Uh, for those who are listening who do not reside in San Diego, uh, we can do virtual consultations. Wow. So um, you can really access us anywhere. Um, for those of you who do live in San Diego, you obviously can meet with us in person. Um, we have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram account. We have a Pinterest page as well. So all of those, just San Diego Breastfeeding Center, you should be able to find them that way. Um, we have a YouTube channel with some free videos on there, uh, which is called DIY Breastfeeding. And, um, and then you have my book. You have a book. I do. You so, just got yes. a, a book published yes. like a couple so, weeks ago. Exactly. So uh, it's called Latch, a handbook for breastfeeding with confidence at every stage. And that can be found on Amazon. And I have read this book and everything, <laughs> everything we talked about today, for the most part, I think is covered in that book more in length. And yeah. so if anything that we talked about today, you're finding yourself wanting more support um, and you want to hear what Robin's take would be on these things and how she would offer support, buy the book. It's such a great resource. Thank you. Robin, thank you so much. Yeah, for thanks, Cassidy. That was so fun. <laughs> hanging out in my backyard and then in my son's room. Hanging out with your pooches. My dogs. Your dogs. Are just all over you right now. <laughs> all right, Robin. Thank you so much. Thanks, Cassidy. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day. Thank you.